Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today, I have a special guest, Scott Mislinski. I hope I said that right. I'm the worst with names. <laughs> but uh, he is the founder and the host of the Carnivore Cast. So welcome, Scott. Thank you, Amber. Super excited to be here and great to be chatting with you today. Awesome. Can you give us a little bit of your background before we get started? Kind of like, why did you get into carnivore? Why is it so important to you to spread the knowledge and to do the podcast you do? Because you've had a ton of really good people on. So obviously this is a passion for you. So kind of tell us how you got all, all that whole story. Including yourself, uh, one of my favorite guests yes, today. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, so um, I'll start with how I found carnivore and then I can, I can shift into the podcast a bit and why I do it. So um, carnivore for me started in the fall of 2016. I think it was October. Um, and previously, you know, I come from a background of growing up. I was never really overweight. I was overweight. I wasn't obese. I wasn't what most people would look at and say that person's fat, but I did have some extra belly fat, some extra body fat going on. Um, and you know, I ate a lot of packaged junk food, frozen pizzas, mozzarella sticks, chocolate milk, typical standard American diet, kid stuff, chips. And, um, you know, around middle school, I was fortunate enough to get roped into rowing, competitive rowing. Some people know it as crew, um, which was fantastic for me. It really motivated me to have more of a purpose in life, become more dedicated, build something to work towards and, and really work hard at. And I continued to eat poorly while doing that, but I got in much better shape. Um, you know, there's a lot you can get away with metabolically when you're 15 years old. And um, I rode competitively into college and was rec recruited and rode um, for, for, for competitively for eight years as a lightweight rower, which involves, you know, two to three hours of high moderate intensity cardio um, on the river or on an erg machine, a rowing machine, um, year round, pretty much, sometimes twice a day. And uh, that is, that really takes its toll and it requires a lot of food. And I was eating a lot of not great food for most of it. Um, when I got more advanced, I emphasized protein more, but it was a lot of, you know, Greek yogurt, lean, lean meats, um, and, and a lot of carbs too. Um, and a lot of fast acting carbs, you know, I was eating gels mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then with rowing, lightweight rowing specifically, you need to make weight similar to wrestling, um, or other sports. Um, that's why there's a weight class. So a lot of times people would cut, you know, 10 to 20 pounds in a week and regain it, um, for every race. And so it developed some not great relationships with food. I, I had really low muscle mass despite rowing all the time because, you know, chronic cardio is not great for your muscle, mm -hmm. um, especially when you're, you're not paying very close attention to your nutrition and when you're cutting weight. And um, I was also using a lot of painkillers, not any more than you know, the typical person would use in a day or what is suggested on the bottle. But if you take two a leave twice a day for three years, um, turns out it wrecks your gut health and your hormones, um, which no one told me. And uh, there's now more and more research coming out talking about the, the dangers of NSAIDs. Um, and so, you know, coming out of school um, and, and graduating into the working world and working 80 hours a week in high stress jobs, traveling all the time, I was a management consultant. Um, I didn't really know how I would be able to maintain my weight. And I was dealing with these gut issues from, from the NSAIDs and from this unhealthy relationship with food. And, um, you know, I was carrying some extra body fat and so I, I got into, thankfully, I, I got kind of steered towards paleo. And this was back in 2014, paleo and um, kind of intermittent fasting and something close to kind of the Tim Ferriss slow carb diet. I was doing it horribly wrong. I was eating skinless, boneless chicken breasts, ah, boiled yep. and uh, big salads and lots uh -huh. and lots of nuts and fruit, um, which wasn't great. Uh, but, you know, slowly I evolved over my working years, um, adding in intermittent fasting, making more, make, moving closer and closer to keto, even before keto was popular. Um, I have to thank, you know, Mark Sisson and Rob Wolf and um, 
this gentleman in the UK, Sam Feltham, who, who has, a, has a brand called Smash the Fat. Um, and he was, they were all kind of advocating keto before it was keto. And so that was working really well for me. Um, and, you know, in October of 2016, I heard this podcast with Amber O'Hearn. And I was also paying a lot of attention to Ash Simmons. Um, he's the Carnivore's Creed guy, or some people might know him by his high stakes website. He's a software engineer out of Australia who I think has been carnivore slash zero carb for decades, um, over 20 years. Wow. And he posts a lot of great science and, you know, um, research from Gary Tobbs and others about how calories are, are not necessarily the best metric and all this stuff. So I, I knew of him. Um, I was already eating a very meat heavy keto diet, not really limiting protein at all. Um, and I, I heard Amber O'Hearn on the two keto dudes podcast talking about, um, how plants may not just be, um, not necessary, but actually harmful. And a lot of the research around vegetables and plants, um, is the same crap epidemiology um, that tells us to limit saturated fat and get rid of eggs and things like that. And that really struck home with me. And I said, Hey, I'm already pretty close to this. I'm looking for a way where I can eat as much as I want and improve my health. And, and, you know, frankly, kind of vainly build muscle and lose body fat, look better. I think everyone wants that to some degree. And um, th this seemed like it might be that. And so I said, Hey, what the heck I'll try it. And around the same time, I think January, December, January of that year, Sean Baker was doing it. This was way before he was popular on, on Twitter or any social media way prior to Joe Rogan. And so I was, I was starting it around the same time as him. Um, and I did everything wrong. You can imagine, uh, there are a lot of mistakes you can make on the carnivore diet, which there's a lot, there's a lot of great resources out there today, like meet RX and, you know, Sean's book, Paul Saladino's book. Um, you know, every, everyone has a fantastic getting started with carnivore resource now. Um, but that wasn't really available to me, or at least I didn't know of it. There was the zeroing in on health Facebook group, which is fantastic. There's some mm -hmm. veterans there who've been doing carnivore for, for, uh, you know, decades, but um, I was really shooting in the dark and making a lot of mistakes. But despite my poor approach to carnivore, my, my um, energy improved tremendously. Um, my sleep actually got a little bit worse, but I felt like I needed less sleep. Uh, I was rest, less reliant on coffee. I got stronger in the gym, recovered better from my workouts. I felt even more of like the keto mental high on carnivore and sustained energy and mental acuity than I did on keto. Um, and I was feeling more full and, and really satisfied with the foods I was eating. So it, it was a great revelation for me. And then slowly but surely over the last, you know, three, four years, I've gotten a lot smarter about it. I've, I've tweaked my approach and learned and more of these resources have come out, which have taught me a lot. And also, um, you know, two years ago, uh, I started the podcast. And at the time, there were a lot of fantastic keto podcasts like um, Dr. Anthony Gustin, uh, his Keto Answers podcast, Vanessa Spina, Ketogenic Girl, uh, Two Keto Dudes. Um, I think Human Performance Outliers had started at that point, uh, many others. But none of them were called carnivore and none of them were specifically geared towards the carnivore diet. And, you know, when you search carnivore and Apple podcasts, a bunch of random episodes came up, but there was no carnivore podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in this. I want to have conversations with these people. My girlfriend at the time was really encouraging me to start it. And so I said, I'll, I'll give it a shot. I'll start with three episodes. And people were willing to come on, which is awesome. I'm always really grateful that people are willing to be guests. And um, I asked a friend who ran a totally separate podcast. What's the minimum I can possibly do to get this out there and just post three episodes, not worrying about the editing or show notes or anything fancy or building a nice website. And so I did that. And, you know, it, it's just been a fantastic journey having interviewed over a hundred guests now over a million episodes um, talking to, I really try to make the episode of the podcast all about the guests. I think mm -hmm. it's way more important to let the guests speak and hear, hear the guests stories. And, and that's really what I make the podcast about. I don't try to update people constantly on what I'm doing with my diet or, you know, the results I'm getting or what I'm tweaking. I try to make it much more about the guests and the guests are either experts and researchers like Dr. Paul Saladino, Dr. Mm -hmm. Sean Baker, um, you know, folks, folks who are really close to the science or leaders in the community, or they're, you know, everyday N equals one case studies, people who have overcome a myriad of conditions, major depression with Brett Lloyd, um, 
aquatic aquinas syndrome with Nevada Gray, um, people with binge eating disorder, et cetera, and just just put it out there and not try to prophetize or convince anyone they have to do the carnivore diet. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, you know, if someone is struggling or a loved one they know is struggling with one of these conditions, they can just send that episode and maybe it'll encourage them to experiment or at least question what they're doing. And that's really been my motivation the whole time. And it's it's been it's been really fun and it's also given me a chance to connect a lot more with folks like yourself um, and and uh, build build kind of this community and be, and be a part of it. I completely agree with you, and that's what I'm finding out too doing the podcast. And I love the connection, and I love to learn. I've learned so very much. And speaking of that, since you've had so many guests, I was kind of going through just out of curiosity, just how many, and I was like, holy moly, I didn't realize it was that many. And there were some really awesome guests. I mean, they're all awesome, but you know, some some big name people out there. So my question to you is, since you've done so many of these now. What was the one thing that you remember that shocked you? Whether it was something, you know, like, wow, I didn't know this could happen or holy crap, that's really bad. You know what I mean? Like, what was the shocking thing? Yeah, fantastic question. Um, I'd, I'd say there have been a lot of things that have surprised me and I'll probably have a better answer for you an hour from now. But um, <laughs> I think what's been really interesting that's, caught me most off guard is not necessarily like the most impactful thing um, or the biggest general takeaway for me, but just something that I wasn't expecting is how much carnivore has helped people with, um, well, in general, it's, it's how carnivore has helped people with such a myriad of conditions. It, I'm not saying it's a magic bullet or a cure-all or anything like that, but as a baseline diet and an elimination diet, it can do fantastic things for people with all types of issues, whether it's muscular, mental, metabolic, um, it's really helped a lot of people. So that's been great. But hearing how it's helped people with things like addiction, um, like Matthew Cruz talking about his pornography addiction and how much being on a carnivore diet helped helped with that and helped him quit and helped him have more stable dopamine and, and energy levels and felt him feel like he had more self-control super wow. interesting stuff. And, and um, there's this study I saw, I think Benjamin Bickman posted it a while back where they had rats on a ketogenic diet or a normal diet, um, or maybe they just gave them exogenous ketones, but either way in the higher ketone group, um, their dopamine response to cocaine was lower with ketones in their blood. So it's almost like the ketones were blunting the dopamine high of this addictive drug so like that is just (laughs) mind-blowing yeah (laughs) you know um i had not heard that that's that was something that i found really interesting and surprising yeah wow that is that is crazy yeah yeah so who do you think you learned the most from Mm. who has been like maybe your biggest mentor or the person who came on that just blew you away with information that you didn't already even know yeah, I'm constantly humbled. I'd say every episode I'm learning something and um, finding out how little I know. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, the the N equals one case studies teach me a lot because um, they not only teach me about how valuable self-experimentation can be and how many different um, conditions this, this diet can help with, but they also t- teach me about the incredible resilience some people have. Like Amber, you coming on and talking about your decades of struggling with your weight and gaining and losing so much weight over and over again. And, you know, people who are at death's door practically, um, like like uh, Nevada Gray and, and others yeah. just churning through the medical system for years and years and getting no answers. And it's like, what kept you going? What kept you trying things? I would have given up so long ago. And then there's, you know, of course, uh, some of the researchers and, and experts in this space, like Sean Baker and, and Paul Saladino, who are just not only bringing great insights and great new learnings, but uh, also like being able to step back and say like, hey, let's look at the bigger picture. I'm learning from them. And then, um, you know, lastly, I'd say some of the veterans, um, Folks like Kelly Hogan and uh, Dr. Lisa, uh, I'm going to pronounce her last name wrong, Wiedemann, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, who's the carnivore doctor, they've been helping people in the zeroing in on health group for over 10 years. Um, 
they're fantastic too. They've seen it all. They know everything. And there's so much expertise and wisdom in that. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm kind of dodging your question, but there's no one person I've learned the <laughs> no, most. That's from. good. That's good. No, I, that, that, I, I, I like that answer. I think that's really good because I, I agree with you, you know, and the more people I interview, whether it's with Meterex or on this podcast, there's so much to learn from it. And even if it's not scientific kind of things, there's other things you learn from it. And I think it's amazing. And, and it, is, it is just, like you said, it's humbling and it's amazing. And, you know, I, I know that you have such a passion for this. And, you know, where do you see yourself going with this? I mean, you've done remarkably well. I'm like, how did you, you know, do all of this? Because I'm over here going, oh, goodness, this is hard. Yeah, I mean, you're doing quite a lot too, Amber. I wouldn't um, sell yourself short. You're, you're doing fantastic work with multiple podcasts and MeetRx and your website and everything great you're doing. Um, I would say for me, it's just been about consistency. The goal has always been put out consistent content. I don't pay close attention to the downloads per episode or how many people are viewing it or sharing it or liking. Um, I'm just trying to put out good content that hopefully helps people and hopefully, you know, raises that question in someone's mind of, you know, should I, should I try something different with my diet? Could I be feeling better? Um, so for me, it's been, the goal has always been one podcast a week and I've always hit at least that. And, um, you know, I have, I have a day job. I'm, I'm never going to make an, a serious income off of carnivore casts, nowhere close to it. Um, and, uh, I put out one episode a week. It, I spend, you know, five to 10 hours a week on the podcast and related activities. And my goal is just to continue to diversify my guests. You know, most recently I've tried to have more farmers and ranchers on to get more of that perspective. Um, you know, I try to branch out beyond just, um, you know, big names in the carnivore community to trying to have a lot of people on who have never been on a podcast before mm -hmm. and they're extremely nervous, but yes. then they <laughs> knock it out of the park. Like Nevada Gray had never been on a podcast. Brett Lloyd had never been on a podcast. Um, Chris Donahue had never been on a podcast. Um, a lot of these people and uh, just trying to bring their voice out and shine a light on them. That's really rewarding for me. Yeah, it's very rewarding. I, I totally agree with that. And there are so many wonderful people out there. And that's what I want to do is showcase all these wonderful people. Okay, so we talked about wonderful people, but we also have some that are less than wonderful in our community. And, uh, you know, I'm seeing so much controversy right now. And I'm just like, why? Is it just because we're all just locked up and feeling, you know, cr crazier than normal that there's this need to lash out at everything? And so I kind of want to get your opinion on a few of the, the controversial things. And, and some of this has been controversial for a long time, but you know, there are a few that just popped up here recently. And I'm going to ask you about it just to kind of get your opinion where you stand. So I think it's sure. kind of interesting. I, I love hearing different people, you know, say, that. okay, so do you believe that um, every carnivore should incorporate organ meats? Yeah. So first, just to address your comment, I think people are bored and locked up and looking for drama and excitement. I think that's the problem. I like to assume positive intent with everyone and everything. And I think, you know, if people are tirelessly putting out content, even if they're making money from it, if they're spending long hours creating content, writing books, creating podcasts about the carnivore diet, answering people's questions, they're in it to help people. And I think everyone in this community really wants to help people and wants people to get healthier. How they go about it may be very different and they may raise some feathers and they may heckle and they may argue. But I think everyone in general has that goal of get people healthier. So I'll say that to start. Um, to answer your question about organ meats, I don't think it's completely necessary. That's kind of the null hypothesis. I'm not convinced you need them. Um, a lot of successful long-term carnivores have been fine without them. That is not evidence that you definitely don't need them, um, but it points towards a hypothesis that you may not need them. Um, I personally incorporate them because I like it. I don't mind it. Um, I can't say it's made a huge difference one way or another. When I eat four ounces of, of uh, liver, raw liver, 
two or three times a week, my brain buzzes. I feel like I'm on fire. I feel like a ton of energy. Not everyone feels that way. Most people hate liver. Um, you know, there are supplements and organ, organ capsules you can take. Optimal Carnivore is, is one that I'm a fan of because uh, the founder actually reached out to me when he was thinking about the product and um, asked for my input on it, which I thought was really cool. Um, but I don't think people need them. I think eat the meat you enjoy. Um, if you're eliminating plant foods from your diet and you're eating an mostly animal foods, you probably don't have to be super focused on your individual micronutrient needs because one, they become your needs become lower when you're not including plants and carbs, um, like with the example of vitamin C, which competes with uh, glucose and carbohydrates in your metabolism. Um, so people on ketogenic and low carb diets need less vitamin C. And then two, um, there's actually uh, more bioavailable nutrients in animal foods like beef um, than there would be in plants. You really can't observe and absorb, excuse me, and convert all the vitamin K or vitamin A and um, something like kale to, to its most bioavailable form like you could with animal foods. And then lastly, um, there's interesting research showing when you eat animal foods with plant foods, it inhibits your absorption of certain nutrients. So there's the famous oyster study. They ate oysters either plain or with corn tortillas or with black beans. And the people who ate them plain absorbed way more zinc than the people who ate them with corn tortillas or with black beans. Um, so in summary, I don't think you necessarily need or need organs. If you enjoy them, that's fantastic. If you want to take a more sustainable approach and eat more of the animal, that's fantastic. But um, don't let it stop you from trying the carnivore diet. Awesome. And I, for one, I've tried liver, but Lord, I do not like it. I've yeah. tried. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, I, I kind of have the same attitude because I'm doing perfectly fine and I'm not eating it. So, you know, I don't know. Great for you. So, you know, people are different. So, you yeah. know, and, and that's kind of where I like to come at things personally is we're all very different. I mean, yes, we're alike in a lot of ways, but we're also different in some ways. So, yeah. okay. The next thing, what about grass fed versus grain fed? Mm. So I think, um, here similarly, like it's such a small difference. You're talking about like the 0.01% difference between those two versus like eating a muffin or a bag of chips or a piece of bread or like any of these foods, um, any processed food, like the difference between that and beef is just like thousands of continents versus like <laughs> the difference between grass fed and grass finished beef versus grain finished beef is like a sliver of, of a grain of, of grass, if you will. Um, there's some evidence that it may have a better omega-3 to omega-6 ratio, but mm -hmm. the ratio doesn't matter that much when there's not that much of either of those fats in beef. And as soon as you eat um, you know, some nuts once, you wipe out that entire difference, just a handful of nuts um, of like weeks worth of eating the grass finished beef. Also, the label is thrown around a lot. Grass fed can be completely mm -hmm. false. How they raise the animal can be very different. You can have animals that are raised on grain that are raised regeneratively. Um, they spend 80% of their life on pasture anyways. So grass fed is a misnomer. All cows are grass fed for most of their life. Um, and then, you know, uh, there's, there's not great evidence. There's no evidence that people are healthier eating grass finished versus grain finished meat. Um, so I'd say eat again, eat the meat you you enjoy, eat the meat you can afford and like buying. And if you like buying from your local farmer and they happen to grass finish their meat, beef, then fantastic. If, um, if not, then, then don't worry about it. If you want to vote with your dollars and support regenerative ranchers, whether they're grain finishing or grass finishing their cattle, that's, that's great. That's a totally separate issue, but no one should feel like they have to eat grass finished beef to have success with this diet. Agree, hundred percent. I tend to eat a lot of the grass fed because that is just what I happen to like and that mm. we can get pretty consistently. I'm real yeah. picky about the, the grind and if there's any bounce back, I'm done with it. I'm done nice. with it. I do yeah. not do bounce back. So I like the tender and just it so happened that what I'm getting is tender. So it's not because, oh my gosh, it has grass fed on the label. 
No, nice. that's not why I get it. I mean, you know, if it's a bonus, yay, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, good okay, for you. Let's see. Um, okay, so coffee or not coffee? So coffee is super interesting to me. Um, again, I think if you're performing well, feeling good, happy with your body composition, health is good, digestion is good, sleep is good, then then do whatever works for you. Um, you know, as, not, as long as you're not drinking like 10 pots a day, you're probably fine. Um, I think biasing your coffee towards earlier in the day is always good. I think making sure you're not putting a lot of sugar or other stuff in it is, is probably good. Um, but I'm not vehemently against coffee. For me, personally, I found that I had to get rid of coffee. I did carnivore for two years with coffee. And then um, I have an aura ring, which traps, tracks my deep sleep. I, sli I sleep like a log and I thought I was sleeping great. I was sleeping nine hours a night, but I wasn't getting hardly any deep sleep. I was getting less than 20 minutes a night of deep sleep. Mm -hmm. And um, so a lot of people are like, I sleep fine. I can drink all the coffee in the world. I can drink alcohol. You don't know how well you're sleeping. Um, and so I said, okay, I'm going to try, you know, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, now wife, um, has had a lot of digestive issues. And sh that's why she is a uh, carnivore as well. And she found that eliminating coffee and switching to a caffeine pill made a massive difference in her digestive health. She also has more steady energy with the caffeine pill. It's more convenient. It's cheaper. You can buy a bottle of 100 of these things for like less than $10. Um, and you don't have to go and find coffee every day. You don't have to make coffee every day. It's just like super easy. And so I was like, hey, what the heck? I'll try that. And then switching to the caffeine pill helped me a lot in terms of my digestion and my steady energy. And then I was like, okay, I still want to fix my sleep. Let me see how cutting it out goes. And I was able to take that caffeine pill and split it down to three quarters of a caffeine pill for three days. And then a half a caffeine pill for three days and then a quarter for three days and then nothing. And I had no withdrawals whatsoever. And I don't miss, you know, having a thing in my hand in the morning. And I've been caffeine free for over a year and it's really, really helped my deep sleep. It's improved to, on average over an hour a night, which has been great. And I have the same energy in the morning. I'm really high energy all day. I don't need it to wake up. And uh, I, interesting, th this is probably further out there for, for folks who are really into the nerdy science, but um, I got a 23andMe done. And one of the genes I have, there's this gene, it's like CYPA12 or something. It's basically a gene of how fast or slow you metabolize caffeine. So some people may have heard the half-life of caffeine is six hours, which on average, which means that... Um, you know, if you have a, a cup of coffee, which is, you know, 150 milligrams, then by, um, and, and you have it at 9 a.m., then by um, 3 p.m., you're down to 75 milligrams in your blood. And then by 9 p.m. that night, you're down to 37 and a half milligrams in your blood. It's the half-life of caffeine. But that's an average. That's a population average. And I have the double allele for slow metabolism of caffeine which Whoa. means, and, and there have been studies, I think there's one study I found where it looked at the half-life of caffeine in people with the double allele of being a slow metabolizer. My caffeine half-life is over 24 hours. So if I have a coffee oh. 9 a.m. one morning, the next morning I still have half of that coffee in my blood. Wow. So that is what kind of convinced me to experiment with this, um, with cutting out caffeine. And it's helped me a ton. That is amazing. So do you found the 23andMe pretty helpful then? Do you think it's worth I, it? I did. Um, I'm curious and nerdy, but most people would probably say like, it wouldn't change my behavior substantially. And <laughs> a lot of the stuff is like, just kind of ridiculous and out there, like how much of Neanderthal genes do you have? But yeah, I, I found the data pretty interesting. Do you, do you trust that it's pretty accurate? I mean, what are your feelings it's on It's a good that? point. I don't know. It, it could be inaccurate. I don't, I don't know much about the data validity. Hmm. Interesting. All right, because I've been kind of considering that. I, I actually got it for a gift for my mother, and oh, nice. it was just too confusing for her, really, and she was like, I don't even know what this means. But she wasn't interested in the, the diet aspect or whatever, just the, right. you know, your typical, what what are you, you know? <laughs> and it showed that she thought she had a lot of Indian in her and it showed really no Indian, you know, it's oh, just stuff like that. And so I'm like, that's interesting. Yeah. 
Okay, so there's also a lot of talk now, uh, two different camps, where they feel like one camp feels that the high fat version of um, carnivore is where it's at. And then there's another camp saying, Ooh, I can't really do all that fat. So I need to eat leaner. But where, where do you fall? And what, what do you think about that? Yeah. So I've thought about this a lot and asked a lot of experts about this about a year ago on my podcast. I probably spent 10 episodes on this topic. Um, and my conclusion after all of that is um, it varies by individual, it varies by your goals, and you really have to test. So um, most people in general feel more of like the ketogenic high energy levels um, and general better like sleep and things like that on a higher fat, mm-hmm. moderate protein version of carnivore. Most people but a lot of people can't tolerate that for, um, for digestion. And a lot of people, especially athletic folks, um, it, it's, it's also like a lot of people find the higher protein version better for body composition and um, better for satiety. The thing about carnivore that you have to remember is most people are doing a really high protein version of carnivore, I think. Um, even if you're eating the fattiest steaks, ribeyes all the time, which most people don't, they eat New York strips and porterhouses and T-bones and ground beef and chicken and pork sometimes, whatever, eggs. Um, as soon as you go down from ribeye, whatever you're eating is going to have less than one gram of fat per gram of protein. Mm-hmm. And so automatically you're below like 67% calories from fat. And then as soon as you cook the meat, the, the like nutrition labels, what they tell you is the raw weight of the yeah. meat. And so if you have a ribeye that's one-to-one, one gram of fat per one gram of protein, and you cook that on the grill or in an air fryer or even in a pan, you probably lose about half the fat content. So even if you say, I only eat ribeyes, I'm on a high-fat carnivore diet, if you're grilling your meat like most carnivores are, you're losing half the fat and all of a sudden, you know, instead of eating 200 grams of protein and 200 grams of fat a day, you're eating 200 grams of protein and 100 grams of fat a day, which is a pretty high protein version of carnivore. It's nowhere near like ketogenic macro ratios. So, um, you know, I've, I, I find it easier to just eat like a bunch of meat and a bunch of steaks and I feel satisfied with that. I have also tried tirelessly to do higher fats version of carnivore, even the right way, which is no liquid fats. You just eat raw beef suet and like minimize the amount of protein you get. Similarly to what I said before, I feel higher energy. I feel better doing that. I feel lighter. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very satisfying. But after about two weeks to three weeks without fail, in the middle of the night, very far away from my meals, I get really bad stomach upset, like bloating, Mm -hmm. a ton of gas, burping, um, endlessly. And it's, and as soon as I reverse it, it goes away and it only starts after like two to three weeks. It's the strangest Mm -hmm. thing. And so maybe I just don't have the bile and and the digestive enzymes to break Mm -hmm. down that amount of fat. But even if you, even if you did, do you want to be eating raw beef suet all the time? Most people, if they try to do high fat carnivore with a bunch of butter and tallow and lard and bacon grease, they get horrible either, um, uh, like cramps and um, constipation, or they get really bad diarrhea one way or another. And so like, think about what's sustainable for you. I think people should probably try both at some point for, you know, give each a two week shot and then find what you enjoy and what you can stick to. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that for sure. I know for me, uh, Secret, ah, I don't like fatty meat. Do not like it. Uh uh-uh, uh, nope, not, no. Ribeyes, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> 80 20 hamburger meat, nope, can't do it. I just can't do it. And it's, it's yeah. a palate thing for me more so mm. than it's like my body rejects it or Interesting. something. 
I just don't like it. I like yeah. fillets and I like a little bit leaner meat. I mean, I, I can do 85%. And like I said, it has to be the good ground kind that doesn't have all that nasty bounce back stuff in there. Yeah. But, you know, I'm super picky, I guess. And I, I'm not, you know, the quote carnivore, you know, <laughs> whatever you want to say. But Your uh, meals look delicious, Amber. And I see some, I'm jealous of some of your photos going out and getting like lobster <laughs> at a restaurant. And oh, like, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. that's super high protein. That's super lean. So yeah, um, yeah. It, you know, it's it's what you enjoy and what you can stick to. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I think I got all of that. It's up for now. The last one, the latest one. Great, honey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I'm not going to rail on anyone for including honey in their diet if it's something they enjoy, if they feel like it's benefiting them somehow. Um, I think trying to artificially fit the only thing i have a problem with is trying to artificially fit into a framework of this is an animal carnivore food versus not you know like keep it to what foods feel good and don't feel good there like honey is in my mind much closer to sugar than any other animal food and there are many quote, plant foods like mushrooms or cucumbers that would probably have a closer metabolic effect to eating meat than honey would. Um, so I think like trying to artificially fit it into this framework and say, no, 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 this is okay because it's an animal food. It comes from a bee is ridiculous. I think if you want to make arguments about how it's improving your metabolism and it's giving you a certain amount of energy and it's not safe to be in ketosis all the time, fine. Like that science is a little bit beyond me. You may be right. You may not. I'm not sure. Um, and if you think it's benefiting you and you feel great with it, go for it, include it. That's great. Um, but saying that you have to include it or saying that it's, it fits because it's part of this um, evolutionary framework or carnivore framework, I think, um, is is kind of stretching it in my mind, but <laughs> yeah. that's just my opinion. <laughs> it is kind of a shame because, honey, ooh, I used to love that. I had that like every day. I would eat a peanut butter and honey sandwich. Oh. <laughs> But I did, but I tested my blood sugar with, uh, when I had honey, cause I was just curious. Cause it's one of the things that I ate all the time. Oh no, 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 no. That's a, that's a, oh, yeah. no, 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 wow. not good. Well, actually it was more like, like this for a while, <laughs> you know, wow. it was not, not, not good. So I know for me and my body, I can't do that, but you know, if cool. somebody else wants to do it and it works for them, Hey, whatever, that's all yeah, good. Sure. But yeah, I, I kind of wondered about that controversy because you know, a bee takes stuff from a flower to produce that. So is it like really the bee making it? I mean, I, it's like, so I don't really, I don't know where that actually falls, you know? Yeah. Is it really an animal food? Is it like a cow yeah. with milk? I don't yeah. know. You know, it's kind of, I don't know, but I and animal, love it, so. Saying animal foods is a good, like, easy heuristic for people to follow. But I think when you're trying to, like, stretch it and include things like honey, like, it's, it's just a little bit pedantic. Yeah. Okay. Well, something I guess I could have fit this into. Um, you hear a lot about, you know, labels, being labeled. Like, like and let's face it, we kind of all want to fit into categories to a degree. That's just human nature. So when you have things like, okay, keto, carnivore, uh, the lion diet, you know, you have all these little categories. So when somebody say they eat 95% of the time they eat animal-based foods, okay? Maybe they don't even have dairy or, or honey or whatever. They're just eating meat. But every once in a while, like on a weekend, they might decide if they go out, they might want to have broccoli with their steak. So does that mean they're not carnivore? Yeah, I, uh, I, I take issue with that. I think... Um, unless you have an autoimmune condition or a food addiction problem or something that really prohibits you from having non-carnivore non -carnivore foods, non-meat foods, um, if you're eating nine, like 80%, 70% plus of your food from animal products, that's carnivore in my mind. Like carnivore, look up uh, hyper-carnivore is, is the biological definition of an animal that gets more than 70% of its food from from animal products. 
um, from eating other animals. Like a lion is a hyper carnivore. They sometimes eat grass. They sometimes eat some berries. Like that's fine. And um, if you are eating mostly animal foods and um, to stay compliant with the diet, you like to have a square of dark chocolate or you like to have some keto ice cream every once and then or some sauces or whatever makes the diet sustainable for you. And you know, as long as you're feeling good, even if you aren't feeling good, if you're happy with how you're feeling <laughs> and you're happy with how you're performing and um, happy with your health, like go for it. That's fine. Like you can be a carnivore. I'm not going to say in group, out group, you're not a carnivore. I'm calling you out. You ate broccoli. Like that's not my position or my place to do. Um, you know, if, if we were scientists and we were classifying people into groups for a scientific study and we have to say, have you eaten only animal foods for the past 10 years? That would be one thing, but we're not. We're just trying to help people get better. And helping people get better is about number one. The number one base of the pyramid is always going to be adherence and compliance. What can you do consistently? Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's what's most important in my mind. And I think trying to draw this artificial line of, 100% carnivore or strict carnivore versus keto carnivore, or whatever. Um, it just seems arbitrary and unnecessary. I, th I think we should all be trying to support each other, you know, same team, um, trying to get people healthy, trying to get people um, to be happy and, and, you know, enjoy their lives, with their families. Life is short. That's exactly, that, that's how I view it too. And I personally don't care what another person eats. I, I mean, I do because I want people to be healthy and happy, but I'm not going to sit there and go, oh, well, oh, did you have some spice on that? Because guess what? I, I use spices, limited, but I still use them. And, you know, I'm, I'm not going to dog somebody for that and then tell them that they are no longer carnivore. And yeah. what, what is your take too? I, I, I find this kind of funny and I did it too, and I probably still do it, um, where you classify something, oh, that's not keto or, Oh, that's not carnivore. You know, what, what is your take on that? Yeah. There's a funny saying where anything is keto. If you slice it small enough <laughs> because of the carb count. Um, if it fits. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there are foods that are probably better on a keto diet or carnivore diet. Um, you know, there are foods you probably want to limit if you're on a ketogenic diet. Um, but again, it's arbitrary lines and, um, you know, these diets come and go and there are many different versions of them. And I think, you know, just finding a version that works for you and supporting other people and trying to be polite and friendly is, is most important. Absolutely. So in, in a general term, why do you think diets, food, is so triggering it's up there with mm. politics and religion and th that personally has blown my mind the more yeah. i see it I, I, I mean even when i was eating sad i wasn't all crazy about you know oh my god you're only eating red meat oh my god you know and, and taking it personally or whatever yeah why is that i see it daily and i, I i'm i'm blown mm. that's a really interesting question um why are diets so triggering? Maybe, I, I mean, I'm just going to guess here. I think it's because it's something that is really easy to change. It's something you do every single day, multiple times a day. And if you tell someone, if someone knows that they're on a particular diet, they get defensive that, that they're doing something wrong. So if you say at a party, oh no, I don't eat that. I am on this diet. Suddenly everyone else may feel more defensive because they're insecure about themselves and they're not sure if they're eating the right things. It's something that requires a lot of willpower, deciding what you eat every single day, every single meal. And um, I think maybe because of that, people feel really insecure about their, their own choices and their own, um, what they're doing. And I think that comes from oftentimes a lack of education. People don't know what to eat. They don't know if they're doing the right thing. There's so much confusing information out there, so much money in the diet industry with conflicting yeah. messages that um, they, they don't know if what they're doing is right. So when they see people doing different diets or they hear about a diet or someone tries to convince them a, di a diet, they become very defensive and insecure with themselves. Maybe that's, that's my guess. 
that's kind of what I'm thinking. That's yeah. what it seems to be because if you're doing one thing and that's the good thing, then obviously if they're not doing the same thing, it must be the bad thing in right. their minds. Not that yeah. you say that or, you know, whatever. I try to be really careful about, you know, not, you know, shoving anything in anybody's face. I eat the way I eat and that's it. And I'm not going to change and I'm not going to appease somebody and eat crap that I don't want. But at the same time, I'm not going to say, Oh, you have to be doing the same thing as me or you're, you know, whatever. Now no. I do, I, I admit, I do kind of cringe though when I see, you know, those that I care about eating stuff that I know is doing damage to them, especially if they're already diabetic. Yeah. You know, okay. And so my next question, this kind of feeds into that. Okay. So there is all this controversy over diet, right? Uh, uh, You know, veganism is the way to go. Carnivore is the way to go. Um, Sad diet, the guidelines, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Um, So where do you fall in in that? Okay. I guess what I want to ask is what kind of common denominator can we find that we all agree on, whether we're carnivore or even vegan. What common ground? Yeah, I I like to take a huge step back with this and say, one, um, like, don't take anyone's advice for granted. Um, take your health into your own hands. So many people just assume some authority figure is right about their diet, and they don't question it. And that's what has gotten us into this whole mess is just blindly trusting authority or the default and never even examining what we, most, most people just put whatever's put in front, eat whatever is put in front of them. So that's one. Two is like, um, you know, in try, try things and see what works for you. Um, investigate your own diet. If you're following a diet, that means you care more about yourself and your health and your body than 99% of people out there. So that's great. Um, and then three, after that, I would af- actually getting into like some of the X's and O's, I would say like avoid processed foods, um, eat more whole foods, eat more animal foods, eat more protein, like things that we know that people are lacking in their diets. Mm-hmm. Um, most people are deficient in and are causing a lot of problems. That's where I would start. And I think those are some of the kind of common denominators. Yeah, And like no seed oils those kind of things. Yeah. yeah. And what about like things like soy? Mm. Yeah. Like, I, I'm not a huge fan of soy. I, I think it, it can have a lot of disruptive effects on your hormones. I don't think we were, we evolved to eat a lot of it in large quantities. Um, I think a lot of it is highly processed and mass produced. And um, so I personally don't consume, I, I try to consume none of it. I don't think I'm consuming much or any of it. Um, but yeah, again, like if someone is eating like soybeans and soy milk and then otherwise they're eating all whole foods um, and no processed foods and no seed oils and no sugar, like they're probably healthier than 99.9% of people out there. Exactly. And see, that's the thing. I mean, I don't really care what what diet you're doing, if it may, if you're healthy, you feel good and you're doing it for the right reasons. I, right. I shouldn't say the right reasons. I mean, I, you know, I, I get the moral stand on some things and religious reasons. I, I get that. And I'm not putting that down, but um, you know, <laughs> the, some of the things, but like, you know, the whole foods, whether you're vegan or carnivore, whole foods matter. keto whole foods matter because you can do a crappy version of keto and i at one time was doing all that too you know the the reproducing everything and and you know getting some of the products Ooh, it's keto you know and and doing those kind of things i mean i'm guilty of that too Uh, but i kind of like you know evolved but uh so you can do a bad version of anything but i think you're right with the whole foods is a is a big thing for sure Okay, let me make sure that I got all these questions before I ask you one thing. No problem. Mm. Okay, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but... And I need to jump in a couple minutes. I'm so, I'm so sorry, Amber. 
Oh no, no problem. Okay, well, well, here let's let's just get to this real quick. Um, okay. We were talking beforehand and um, about raw dog food um, mm. and feeding your dog raw. Can you yeah. just kind of give us a little bit of information on that and why you did that? Because yeah. it's kind of a, a big thing for me right now because my dog just was diagnosed with diabetes. So I'm curious. Yeah, so dogs are definitely carnivores. You know, they evolved from wolves. Uh, they're even more carnivorous than us in their digestion, I think. Um, and we did a lot of research on feeding dogs raw diets. Um, Dr. Karen Becker, I think is her name, is a famous vet who has a lot of great videos on this and other topics around veterinary health. Um, and she advocates a raw diet. Um, and we looked into a lot of different options, whether we wanted to, you know, mix mostly raw animal foods and some plants or include some fiber and things like that. And we ultimately came to the conclusion that we wanted to feed our dog an all meat diet, um, that included some organs. And we were lucky enough to find a local provider, um, called dogs gone raw, um, which sells, you know, less than $2 a pound dog food, which includes tripe, trachea, um, beef, liver, um, eggshells for calcium, and a little bit of bone. Um, and our dog has been done fantastic on it. She has very healthy skin and fur, and everyone's always commenting on her energy. She devours it and goes crazy for the smell of it. Um, and yeah, it's, it's worked really well for us. So um, we're going to continue doing that, I think for the rest of her life. Of course, the vets push back immensely um, because they sell dog food and they sell Purina mm -hmm. and they say, all, they cite all these studies, which of course are mm -hmm. usually funded by Purina. But yeah, we've been very happy with it. Oh, wow. Well, I, I'm so glad that you're doing that now because it's a little too late for mine. But I mean, she's still, she is improving after doing, starting a raw diet, but I just, I wished I would have known. So yeah. I'm going to be talking a lot more about that because I don't want any other dog to suffer any more than I want a human to suffer. So do you have any uh, last minute advice or something you wanted to say? Yeah, I, I just say, like keep an open mind and be nice to people. Like we're all on this earth to help each other and try to make it a better place. And everyone's trying to get healthy and be open-minded and like, don't try to push things on people or criticize people or, you know, in-group, out-group fighting. It's, it's not, it's not doing anyone any good. Um, and, you know, feel free to share your story, um, share it with a friend, share it with coworkers share it with loved ones, but do it in a respectful way. Um, do it when they ask questions. Be, be the testimonial that people want to ask about and then open up. Um, that's, I think that's my philosophy and my approach. I love it. That awesome advice. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank it's you, been Amber. Fun. I'm glad I could return the the favor kind of sort. Yeah. I guess you were whatever you want to call. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna have all of Scott's information below. And hey, while you're here, awesome. subscribe and then go follow Scott at Carnivore Cast. Go check out um, his podcast. Uh, he has had some fabulous guests on and really good uh, information out there. So be sure you do that. But it'll be below. So. Thanks Thank you, again, Amber. Scott. And you have a wonderful day. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye.